This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, we're going to discuss what should be next for John Jones if he gets past Dominic Reyes at UFC 247. John Nash from Bloody Elbow is back with more information about fighter pay from documents that have been released. And we're going to have one part of the TLTS Midweek Mailbag. Luke Thomas Show, 3 to 6 p.m. weekdays on Sirius XM Fight Nation 156. Do you see what uh, Michael Chiesa tweeted at me? I did. What is the What is the background behind that? So, okay. As you know, my mom was ethnically Armenian but grew up in Beirut, Lebanon, right? So, you know how people who are, like... Your parents, are your grandparents from Italy? Like, how far back does it go? No, I think we're, like, fourth generation American. All right, so you're fairly far removed. Yeah. Well, my mom was OFB, bro. Off the boat. You understand? Um, or o- OTB, I guess. Uh, no, wait, it's FOB is fresh off the boat. Is that the idea? Dude, my brain is Yeah, FOB, <laughs> FOB, that's right. Well, or would yeah. it be FOTB? Okay, you get the idea. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't get here by virtue of birth. She got here by virtue of a plane. You understand? So, if you ever meet an immigrant, like food is deeply cultural, man. You know? Agreed. Like, um, pick any kind of cuisine. Spanish cuisine, like ham, is really important for Spanish cuisine, and paella is like one of their major dishes, and coquin it for like the French, and you could just go to different Italian. I mean, oh my God, the Italians like cuisine's like really it's a big part of their identity. Hummus is claimed by virtually everyone in the Middle East. Arabs claim it. The Israelis claim it. The Israeli hummus is trash, but that's just my opinion. But everyone claims it. My mom came here, I think, what year did she come here? I want to say, so it was after I was born, so it had to be the 80s. And in the 80s, she would tell me, like, yo, good hummus is hard to find in this country. Now, since then, I think there's been a hummus explosion. I don't think it's as true now as it was then that you could find... Uh, it, it's as hard to find good hummus. Hummus has become much more traditional, but uh, are much more um, uh, ubiquitous, I would say, and good versions of it too. But what's also happened, Cobb, is you've seen this. You can get jalapeno hummus. You can get you know cheesy hummus, and there's a brand out there. I think it's Sabra. They had that that ad with Ric Flair during the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. You can get chocolate hummus. And my mom used to say, she would see, like, scallion hummus at certain places, and she would look at me and she goes, never eat this poison. Like, she goes, there's hummus, and then there's whatever they're making here. Whatever they're making here is not real. It's not hummus. It's some Americanized crap. Don't eat it. So, you know, she brainwashed me from an early age, bro. And they were airing ads for Sabra hummus. And look, I'm not above it, dude. I've eaten all the jalapeno hummus. I've eaten all that stuff. But she would get after me about it. She'd be like, dude, never, ever eat that stuff. It's against your, it's against where you come from, is what she would say. So I tweeted about that during the Super Bowl. Effin Michael Chiesa, he gets a couple of nice wins under his belt, Cobb. <laughs> <laughs> he had a nice win over Rafael Dos Anjos, and he's starting to get all big on himself. He tweeted up some meal he's eating with chocolate freaking hummus. I see you, Michael Chiesa. You heathen. You Philistine. I see you out there. Anyway, that's what that's about. So he's eating chocolate hummus, you know, getting all fat and happy up at welterweight these days. 
making me sick. Yeah, I saw, I saw it come through the timeline, him tagging you. I'm like, what is this? I don't get what yeah. this is. So he's got gluten-free whatever, pretzels, whatever these are. I, I'm not sure what those are. Oh, yeah, some kind of pretzel. And then he's got dark chocolate boar's head hummus. Oh, my. I got to learn. I have to learn Michael Chiesa. I gotta you learn. You know what? You made an you made an enemy when you said uh, Kelly was better than uh, Topanga. I guess. All of a sudden, I comment on having uh, you know the ability to see beauty and uh, dude. How does the how does the commission give him license when he's so blind? I don't understand. <laughs> I don't get it. In any event, though, um, so that's what that's about. All right, getting back to this, if we can here for just a second. Again, uh, don't forget, Mister John Nash will be here at four p.m. We're talking about John Jones storylines here uh, for a second. Let me let me just, if I can, Cobb, I'm going to flip things up here a little bit. I'm just going to get to what's on my mind about this John Jones situation. We talked about it yesterday. You said your level of interest was low, right? Like you don't have a high high degree of of interest in this particular contest, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, it, memory serves. Yeah. Main event, sure. Co-main event, a little, not much. And then the Dude, rest I of the got, card. I have less than zero interest in that co-main event. Yeah. In part because you know why? One, I think Shevchenko is just remarkably better. Mm-hmm. And two, I worry it could be boring. Yeah. And so that's a double dose of, ooh, I don't know about all that. I don't know about all that. <laughs> um, so your boy is a little bit out on that, okay? But let me say this. At the risk of contradicting myself, let me say the following. All right. It's, it's this. Yesterday on the show... What did we talk about? We talked about, and I started today's show about this as well, uh, namely, finding a sustainable way to enjoy MMA. And I said on the show yesterday, the best way to do that, to develop a long-term relationship with MMA, the very best way to do that is to fall in love with the fighting, fall in love with the science, fall in love with the art, and the storylines are fun and enjoy them but they're not going to carry you through. But everyone likes them too. Everyone likes them as well. Everyone likes a good storyline, right? Uh, And again, who are the best promoters in combat sports? Generally, it's the best storytellers. That's just how it goes. I get it. I'm just trying to explain to you how to maintain your level of enthusiasm as a fan over time. That's it. But when you think about Jones versus Reyes, I'm interested in it because of the questions principally about the X's and O's. I went back and I rewatched the Tiago Santos fight today, Cobb. You know what I noticed? Now, Santos was injured, obviously, through big portions of that fight. But Jones was really good about keeping the fight at kicking range, even though he was pressing into Santos. Uh, it lowered his overall output. But if he does that against Reyes, he's going to have a good chance of winning. So that's a really interesting twist. But it's the it's the following. When you think about this fight, they're really in terms of storyline – there is no storyline for it. There are storylines attached to it, but nothing about the fight really itself. Nothing major. Minor ones, nothing major. There's no central tension here. And so, really, that should give you a moment of pause. It should actually make you thankful to John Jones. You, that might sound contradictory, but... It actually makes a lot of sense. Since the Daniel Cormier fight, the the rematch, and you know he won that, and I know that was under controversial circumstances, but since then, what has John Jones done? What is what has he made his task 
since then. He's had three fights. This will be the fourth since that time. Since then, he offered a rematch to the one fighter who many thought beat him the first time, and he smoked him inside three. It was never competitive. He offered a title shot to our very own Anthony Smith. He won it. He offered a title shot to our very own, well, not our very own, but uh, the division's Tiago Santos and won it, and now he's doing it to Dominic Reyes. Now, the Gustafson fight might have delivered to him a decent financial return. I'm not entirely certain. But what I know for certain is that what he has done, at least in the last two and then this particular upcoming weekend, is he has put himself up for fights where he was doing the division a bit of a favor. On the card where he fought Smith, the other two fights on there were Lawler versus Askren, which was kind of big, and Woodley versus Usman. So he had a bit of a decent supporting cast. That was UFC 235. At UFC 239, the supporting cast was Nunes versus Holm and then Masvidal versus Askren. So he had some help there. But he's gotten no help this time. He has Shevchenko versus Chukagian. It's not going to do big numbers as a pay-per-view driver. It's just not. He's kind of all by himself. And in that time, he has rewarded the division by not looking for champ-champ fights. He wasn't taking time off. He wasn't doing the Gary Russell Jr. thing where he's only taking the, you know, it's a different world because it's mandatory through the, through the uh, boxing associations. But he wasn't like showing up once a year to take on one fight and then piecing out. No one had to strip him because of inactivity. And I know that's been issues with him in the past, but I'm talking about right now, this chapter. It's none of those things. He took on the guy that everyone said beat him the first time and fought him again and then fought people who are not heralded as either particularly strong challengers, whether that's fair or not, or, matter-of-factly, not box office draws. And he took them on one after the other, and now Saturday after the other. Dude, that's a big favor to light heavyweight. And, again, he had some supporting help on these last two cards to a degree, especially with Jorge Masvidal, but certainly... Um, not in some title fights in some other places, but not through, you know, um, Woodley versus Usman's not a big driver of pay-per-view buys either. It's bigger than Shevchenko versus Chikagian. Here's my point. Especially this weekend, and to a degree in the last two, differing with, with 239, it's not like he was putting himself in a position to get the maximum money fight he had available. He may or may not have had a supporting cast help to a degree, on those two cards, he's got none here, and the B-sides there, I have a high respect, uh, a degree of respect for Anthony Smith, but he's not an established pay-per-view draw. Same with Tiago Santos, and especially true with Dominic Reyes. Dude, these, this is not a guy who in the prime of his career in this particular chapter is out there chasing the biggest money fight imaginable and being real selective. He is standing up there and saying, are you the next challenger? Well, step on up. And maybe the UFC gives him a little bit of help with a supporting cast. Maybe they don't. And in this case, they're not. And he's still doing it. You have to, you kind of have to be thankful to John Jones for that. You might not have as much interest in this fight, but that's a really admirable thing to do as a champion. And you might also say, well, that's what he owes the division for all of the years of fuck ups and blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. Make that argument if you want to make that argument. I'm just saying. This last chapter, dude, he did a division a favor because he didn't have to do that. And he did it in a way where he was not at all trying to maximize his financial reward. 
after he beat Cormier, he was looking for that Brock Lesnar fight, and it faded. Maybe there was nothing else he was looking for. So, you know, this is just by coincidence, and it's not by design. Well, whatever it is, by hook or by crook, you kind of have to respect that. The only thing I would say now, though, is if he beats Dominic Reyes, and maybe he doesn't, but if he does, I'll be the first person to say you did enough for the division, not that you took an L financially, but you weren't out there trying to maximize pay-per-view dollars over the last three fights. Right? You weren't out there like desperately seeking you know, the biggest payday, like Henry Cejudo fighting a guy coming off of an L just to take a, a fight that will do marginally more pay-per-view buys. And we've talked about Adesanya situations, a little bit different. But does anyone really think that the next logical conclusion, uh, the next step rather, the next logical step, for John Jones is is Corey Anderson, Jan Blahovich. Like, here's what I'll say, man. There's a place in time for freak show fights for promoters, but you have to know when the timing is right and you can't lean on it. Well, in a similar fashion, there's a time for money fights. And you can't lean on them, but you got to know when the timing is right. Well, if John Jones gets past Dominic Reyes... Well, then the time is right. Because one, you could stay at light heavyweight and Adesanya comes up, or he can then go and face Stipe Miocic, which would complicate things for Cormier, but it's a fight you could do. And you'd be well within your rights to do it. Those are more interesting fights. Those appear to be more competitive fights. And for a guy who has fought uh, contender after contender after contender who were not especially uh, draws at the box office, which affects his own pocketbook, he has more than earned it. He has absolutely earned it. I think it was it's what the fans want to see. It's what he has earned. He has given back to the division. I get so sick of fighters who never give back to their division when they're weight class champions. They're always looking someplace else to do something else. Well, John did it, and he's been doing it for a bit of a long time, but especially in this chapter. It's one thing if you're facing the Shoguns and the Machitas and the Rampages where there's this big financial return every time as well. That's a tough challenge, and, and you're getting financially rewarded for it um, in a way you probably should be. Or, you know, relatively speaking, anyway. Uh, but, you know, I, Anthony Smith's a tough out. Tiago Santos is a tough out. I tend to think Dominic Reyes is a tough out. If he wins that contest, dude, he has done everything he possibly could f- to nurture this division. At that point, what could you possibly say about him not having uh, earned a-, a money fight? They're more competitive. He did the division a solid. And they're just, in terms of storylines, more interesting. And in terms of that sustainability factor, There's a lot to break down there in terms of X's and O's. That is the next step for him. If he wins, and maybe he doesn't, but if he wins, it's got to be Adesanya or it's got to be Miocic. It cannot be Anderson and it cannot be Blahovich. He doesn't owe the division that anymore. You don't want to see it. He has earned the right to get a fight that makes him money, that adds to his legacy, and that is something that really gets the the sport going a little bit. If you're a weight class champion and you have done a solid after solid after solid to that weight class by taking on tough challengers who nobody knows and they were not especially financially rewarding fights relative to what you could have taken, you have earned the right to then take one. And that is where we are. 
John Jones is one of the most dominant champions in UFC history. He might be the greatest talent that we've ever seen in the UFC. And at UFC 247, he defends his light heavyweight throne from dangerous knockout artist Dominic Reyes. Hey, John, hold that bell, baby. Let's go. Join Sirius XF Fight Nation this Saturday for full coverage beginning at 6 p.m. Eastern, followed by post-fight reaction and analysis starting at 1 a.m. Eastern. We bring the fight to you. Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. He's done exhaustive reporting on Fighter Pay. He's got a new report out on bloodyelbow.com. And here to talk about it is the one and only John Nash. Hi, John. Hey, it's nice to see you filling in for Jimmy. <laughs> well, sometimes they let me back in the studio. What can I say? Um, you don't. By the way, you don't like the Harambe medal? I have no clue what the hell you're listening to. So, so here, here, here is he, old man. Here is the way this works: we find metal, typically death metal, although not exclusively, and it is we want lead singers who sound like gorillas grunting at you. Hence the name Harambe Metal, and the lyrics gotcha. must be utterly indecipherable. So this is a little bit like uh, Yigby Maelstrom, or uh, or uh, you got to go back Wasp, or even it's a little heavier than that, even. Oh, Wasp is for. I mean, those are for Drake fans. This is this is man music right here. You understand that? Man, man, I didn't know I'm I'm not a man. I didn't realize. <laughs> I didn't realize I handed in my man card. Well, you know what? After all of that fake news reporting you did around McGregor's uh, take home pay, I don't know if I could trust you anymore. Let's actually talk about that for just a second. For folks who don't realize this, John and some of his colleagues have done what can only be described as uh, exhaustive reporting related to fighter pay in general. And it, most of it is, uh, they've been quite lucky, I would think they would agree. Not that they didn't do hard work, but this, the fortuitous, fortuitous side of things is that the fighter lawsuit has made a lot of documents public that otherwise would have never seen the light of day. And there was a period, I think about seven or eight years, of complete and utter total receipts about what athletes got. And it basically told us that it's possible that McGregor made $15 million over two fights, but in general, no one made more than eight for one. Is that, did, I get, did I get that math basically right? Yeah, up until the end of 2016, the highest-paid fighter, according to the UFC, according to what they released, I can't imagine they would lie about this in a case where they're being sued for not paying enough, uh, the highest-paid fighter was $8 million. Now, what kind of response did you receive from the fan base? Uh, I, don't, I mean, I don't get much on the bloody elbow of the comments. They're generally pretty respectful. I guess on Twitter, and I saw someone emailed me some, I think, a Reddit or something, there was some people seem to be a little bit uh, hostile to it, especially on Twitter. I was getting a lot of comments that uh, I don't know what I'm talking about, and I'm missing all these. You know, there's all these special secret charges that McGregor and other fighters make that I, I wasn't taking into consideration. Uh, and how do you respond to that, or do you? You just say, "Well, it's part of reporting," I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how I can respond. If there's secret, extra secret, special payments that the UFC never reports, then I guess I can't report on it because it's never reported. Fair enough. Now, you have a new report. It came out a couple of days ago, but nevertheless, we wanted to get you on now. The title of the article, which we will tweet out at MMA on SiriusXM, is that that aforementioned lawsuit, the lawsuit documents reveal even more details on UFC business structure and fighter pay. First things first, how does this differ than what has already been reported in terms of what these documents are? Uh, I think the, the couple differences. One is we have a company overview that we reported before that the UFC pays about 20% of the revenue to the fighters. Uh, but that didn't break down what those expenses were, what they were paying to the fighters. And this does a little better job 
uh, the overview explaining that the 20 percent isn't really isn't for purses. The amount being paid to purses is probably more like 17 percent. And when I say purses, I mean the letter of agreement, you know, the, 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 the show, the win, a side letter of agreement. Some fighters have those, a small percentage where it's an extra contract added. Discretionary locker room bonuses and fight of the night, all that stuff adds up about 17%. And then the other 3% is made up of by sponsorship, uh, merchandise. The drug testing program is included in compensation by the UFC. They include that. And also the Reebok deal. Okay. So let's start and go through this here a little bit. First things first, what is a Zufa identity payment? The Zufa identity payment is all the image right property rights that they get from fighters, that they pay fighters for. So if they sell a T-shirt with your face on it, they will give you 20 to 30%, generally the usual contract, 20 to 30% of the sales price, the revenue that they make from it. And for the video game, they give you a payment for the video game. They give you a payment for, you know, anytime they use your image, they'll give you a payment. And that adds up. It, it adds up a few couple million a year by the UFC. And nowadays, ever since 2015, they include the Reebok deal as part of that. Okay. And what can we say about how hefty those payments are? What is the takeaway from the findings about Zufa identity payments? Well, for if you go back before the Reebok deal from 2011, 2014 with the every year was under a million except for one year when the video game came out and the people in it got a bonus payment other than that it was 320,000 to 11 890,000 to 13 640 and 214 so and this is for all the fighters in the UFC so the identity payments are, are a pretty small amount now since the Reebok deal it's gone up you know like 7 million a year across over the whole year for all the fighters but that's because of the Reebok payments right um by the way I thought that when they signed over their likeness rights they they might have gotten a one-time fee but they didn't get it in in perpetuity or I mean I'm not I thought that they just basically weren't paid for it they just took their likeness and that was it but I guess that's not true Yeah, well it's not true the contract says the UFC can take it but the UFC and their generosity is made a payment to the fighters for their use in the video games. They don't have to contractually, but they do pay them from anywhere from 2,500 to 25,000 apparently to be in the UFC electronic arts video game. So one any... time, and then they use the video game for who knows how long. How much do professional athletes in other leagues that have deals with, let's say Madden or whatever, how much do they get? Do we know? Uh, we do know there's some contractual stuff for the NFL and other sports leagues. I, I don't know the amount, but it's, it's larger than that. It's a sizable amount, and it's you know part of the CBA for image rights. Now, you had mentioned another part of this was figuring out um, essentially how much the the organization paid uh, the fighters in totality. You write one of the more anticipated revelations from the hearings was the share of revenue going to the fighters. This we learned was around twenty percent. What we discovered in later filings, however, was that this twenty percent included more than just fight purses. According to something called a company overview that was prepared by Zufa in 2016 and filed as an exhibit in the lawsuit, that percentage not only covered athlete compensation, but uh, other athlete costs. Was there any part of this that was new, or did you know that it was pay-per-view, letters of agreement, performance bonuses, that kind of thing? Uh, None of that stuff was new. I guess the only part that was new to me is that they include the medical and the drug testing as part of the UFC considers that compensation to fighters on their end. That the, the, what do you make of that? a drug testing program. Well, I mean, 
I don't know any fighter that thinks they're they're getting they're making money off the USADA drug test. So, but so. the, the UFC views it as, oh, this is an investment on behalf of the fighters. I guess is what the argument would be. I guess they're, they're doing it on behalf of the fighters that this is something they don't really care about and that the fighters yeah, right. want it, so it's for them. I mean, that's the only way I can. That's I guess that's the interpretation you'd have to take. It's literally backwards. It's done for the institution's protection. It's got nothing to do with it. I mean, that's just my opinion, but there's a long scholarly history of institutions increasing or otherwise adopting anti-doping policies and practices for the strict and express purpose of protecting institutional interests. That is a funny yeah, way they, to include this. And, and, and you can pretty much, too, you can tell just because from 2014, other fighter costs were $9 million, and in 2016, the full year, first full year of uh, Reebok and the drug testing was $21 million. That means the that means the drug testing programs probably cost in the UFC around five million a year, so that's five million extra. So basically, every fighter on the roster could be getting there's what five hundred fighters could get could be getting ten thousand dollars in lieu hmm. of the drug testing. Interesting. Now I'm looking at one of these uh, charts you have here: compensation and other athlete costs. The UFC declined in cost from 2013 to 2014, but has risen steadily since then. Um, and now, well, I guess the projections for 2020 at this point would be around $235 million. Um, is there any kind of takeaway from this other than as the company grows, so does its compensation athlete cost? I mean, basically, it just shows that there's set costs, that the fighter compensation is set to whatever the UFC is going to make, and they project they're going to be making about a billion dollars. I guess what's interesting to me is that other costs, other athlete costs, are pretty stable. They're going to stay around $24, $25 million going forward in the future that's the Reebok deal and the drug testing and all the other stuff so the only thing so that's going to stay the same the only thing growing the only expense that's growing for the fighters is the compensation the fight compensation and that's based on the fact that the UFC seems to be locked into place uh, is locked into the amount they're willing to pay to the fighters Uh, John Nash joins us here on the Luke Thomas show so just wrapping up on some of this stuff here we don't have time to get to all of it um the one that sort of caught my eye here a little bit was the forms of UFC compensation exhibit. Uh, and you mentioned sort of Gigard Busasi's contract was kind of the opposite of Roy Nelson's. What's the takeaway from this? Well, I, I think to me the most interesting thing, well, one thing was Holly Holmes having a kind of a unique deal where she gets the right to buy up to 1,000 tickets if she's fighting R- Rousey, which seems pretty smart by, smart by her management. If that fight had been, let's say, in Vegas – there was a high demand they could have made of killing, you know, reselling the tickets. Hmm. Uh, the other thing is how few fighters really get pay-per-view points. You go through it, and a lot of fighters, you know, have pay-per-view points, but it's almost always limited to defending the belt. Some have pay-per-view fights if they're in a title fight or against specific opponents, but it's almost always defending a belt. That's the, that's the big thing. And I guess the other thing is how much, you know, someone like Rousey makes, which is her contract. Well, she was one of the biggest stars, supposedly the highest-paid fighter at the time. Hers called for $3 million guaranteed if she's in a title fight, and then pay-per-view points. And so if she was in a million-selling pay-per-view, she was going to make probably a little less than $5 million. Hmm. Crazy. Now, the one question I would have is I spoke right after Jorge beat Nate Diaz with the BMF belt. I spoke to his manager, um, uh, Abraham or Ibrahim Kawa, and I asked him, like, do you guys get pay-per-view points for this and pay-per-view points going forward? He said yes, but I I don't know if that's actually tied to the BMF belt or if Jorge 
has some kind of special deal. Is there any evidence through the documents that you have? And I realize that this is before, long before any BMF considerations were made by the UFC. But is there anyone in there who gets pay-per-view points who is not a title holder? Yeah, there's there's fighters that'll get pay-per-view points who are not a title holder. Uh, so like uh, Nick Diaz and Anderson Silva were both in a fight. Neither were a title holder. Both got pay-per-view points for that fight against each other. So it's possible that he has a deal because they view him such a star that he gets some sort of pay-per-view points going forward. Um, usually, though, usually for almost all fighters, the only way you'll get pay-per-view points if you're defending the belt. It's a select few that'll get pay-per-view points for anything. So everything for the UFC, the one big takeaway is a lot of it is just very formulaic. Uh, I think I included in the article there was a pay tier structure. And if you go through that, you can basically see what the UFC's pay is per, you know, for, per tier you're in, where you're going to start, where, where they're going to bump you in on the next payment. Uh, and it all holds up. Like if you're starting at 12 and 12, you know, your next fight, you'll go to, if you win, you go to 14, then 16, then 18. And then the next tier, they'll jump you up, starts at 21. And the, or 23, I should say, 21, I'm sorry. And the tier after that goes to 35. So there's a tier system that everything is formulaic. You start here and you move up, except for maybe a handful, six, ten fighters that they, they've blown past the tiers and they negotiate unique deals. Fair enough. Now, before I let you go, last question about this that I have in my mind is, we're going to talk about managers later on this show. Are all? <laughs> that's not a fair question. Are most MMA managers worthless? They they seem to be. I mean, they play a part. <laughs> they play. They definitely play a part. I mean, it's good to have a a manager that look over your contract that knows, I guess, what the UFC is willing to pay, you know, per tier. But they don't seem to be getting you. They're not. They're not. They're not like, uh, you know, Shankle uh, 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 or anybody in uh, in boxing where you have these negotiating huge deals and huge percentages. It's the managers have very little control over the tier structure the UFC offers. And so I would say, I, I don't want to bad mouth mouth. Some guys look out for their clients and fight for them, but at the same time, they're not having a huge impact. There's not a lot of options for the fighters. So there's not a lot of options for the managers. Could it, could it be that when, when you see managers brag about what they get their clients, like they're getting them a relative bump, but from what you're saying, it could be something like, Oh, you were gonna be in this for- part of the formulaic bracket, but because your manager, you know, sort of sold the case, we'll just bump you to one bracket up. But it's not, it's not a free form negotiation in the way that we typically understand it on other forms of combat sports. Yeah, I mean, exactly, and and we saw it with some of the email evidence that, you know, I'm sure the the, the manager would ask for a certain amount and, the, and they'd be rejected by the UFC, and they'd said, yeah, we'll just bump you to the next tier because we were going to do that anyways. I'm sure a lot of those managers went back to their fighters. Hey, I got you bumped up to the next tier. Hmm. Even though they had no part in it, that was a Joe Silva decision, 100%. All right. Amazing. Amazing. Well, you're doing the Lord's work, John. You may have terrible taste in metal, but you got great work here on Fighter Pay. I congratulate you on it. If I ever get out to the West Coast, we have to go to a uh, a death metal show together. I'll show you a good time. Oh man! If it's listen, I, I'll stick to my Iron Maiden and Judas Priest. I'm a little old time. I'm not going to go with the new stuff. You can wear earplugs. It's okay. I can do that. I can wear headphones. <laughs> right. Uh, great work. We'll tweet the article out at MMA on SiriusXM. Appreciate your reporting, John. We'll talk soon. Thanks, sir. There he goes. Great stuff from him. See, this is the kind of fact-based uh, reporting, document-based reporting 
that you need to get to understand fighter pay. I know that the material can be a little bit dry at times. I, I fully recognize that. I get it. But you're not going to understand what is actually happening in the industry without it. And this is an industry where people say a lot of stuff. Oh, we do a lot of stuff for our clients, say MMA managers. Or um, we pay the fighters so much. Well, what specifically did you do for them as clients? And how much did you actually pay them as a promoter? Well, now we have facts. And now we have data. And now we have information. And this guy's been at the forefront of that. And it wouldn't happen, by the way, if the fighters hadn't sued to get this stuff made public. Sirius XM Fight Nation celebrates Black History Month every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern on the Ock and Barack Show. All month long, the show reflects on the life and legacy of different influential African-American athletes. Such icons as Muhammad Ali. Hey, I'm the king of the world. Kobe Bryant. You guys will always be in my heart. I love you guys. Jackie Robinson. Robinson dashes to the plate. Safe. And more will be recognized for the impact they made both in and out of sports. The Yak and Barack Show, weekdays noon till 3 Eastern, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation. Mel time. Have a question about MMA, sports, entertainment, or life in general? If people just came to me for the answers, the world would be a better place. Email Luke at LukeThomasShow at gmail.com and get the answers to all those burning questions during the Luke Thomas Show Midweek Mailbag. All right, here we are. Luke Thomas Show, 877-FIGHT-93, 877-344-4893. Luke Thomas Show at gmail.com. That is always the number, or rather the email. Dude, it's a bad day for your boy. It's a bad, bad day for your boy's brain. Luke Thomas Show at gmail.com is the email to use when seeking us out. We do the mailbag every Wednesday right around this time or so. It's your chance to steer the show about questions with... MMA, combat sports, sports, music, food, whatever, the show itself even, whatever you want to get to. With that in mind, Cobb, how are the questions today? Boy. I like some of these questions today. How were they last week? Uh, they were good. I mean, some people were going to uh, Jimmy directly. Some people had old questions for you that Jimmy was able to answer just fine as well. So uh, that's, that's been pretty good. Jimmy keeps his cards, though, close to the vest. A little closer, yeah, than we do on this show, than you do. Yeah, right I, just, I tell you when I have <laughs> diarrhea, so yeah. we're very different in that regard. Uh, all right, well, with that in mind, why don't we kick things off here? Answer my question! <laughs> I never get tired of that. Uh, uh, this is an interesting one because I, I started to feel this way a little bit too. Uh, Miguel from Florida here who says, uh, Hey, Mr. Thomas, I have been watching MMA since UFC 1 and all of WEC Strike Force, Affliction Pride, yet reading today's MMA Junkie Match Roundup, I didn't recognize most of the fighters on the list. Does that mean I'm now considered a casual fan? What is the match roundup? Uh, I imagine it's just, you know, and I, I have to double check that, but I think it's just oh, like a, an announcement yeah. of some fights that got put together? Fights that got put together and or maybe uh, some other fights that have happened. You know, I've come to terms with this a little bit. I don't think that it does. There's a lot of names I don't recognize, and I do this at a level that is, when I say level, I don't mean like, oh, I'm so much better, but I mean, look how much of my day is occupied by MMA news or something, right, and consuming it, giving it back to you, whatever. Uh, and even I have trouble with it. So if I'm having trouble with it, what can I honestly expect from other people? Here's what I the way I get around it, though. My solution has been, I know a lot of these names, but there's a lot I also don't. But what I do is, when I watch these events, I try to watch them in totality. And then when I go back and I have to review them for whatever purpose on the show, I find that if I've watched it once, I can immediately get a pretty quick frame of reference. Like, it's this weird thing where, if I look through a high school yearbook 
I, I wouldn't be able to recognize the names. The faces would not be memorable unless you actually went to the high school. Like you saw them pass. You saw you passed them in the hallway, even if you didn't know them. You might be able to pick them out a little bit more easily. I sort of treat it like that. Like I didn't know everyone in my high school, but I still went there. I, I, I still was a member of that my graduating class or whatever. So sort of think of it a little bit like that. It doesn't mean you're exactly casual. It just means that the volume is so high that some of them are going to be very close to you. Some are going to be a little bit further. Some are going to be fairly distant but recognizable. And then having this omni-competence about the names is not that great a measurement for what your level of fandom is. It's a measurement for how the sport has changed. And it's just hard to cope with all of that, even for people down in the weed. Cobb, how many times have you looked at one of these things and been like, I don't know these donks? Oh. Or how many, how many times have we pulled up some dude's resume? He's got like five UFC fights. You're yeah. like, when? Well, that's why I find my, my bigger problem is, dude, I can't remember when these guys fight anymore. Like, unless, no, they're like, no. on, unless they're like on the main card, it is impossible for me to keep all this in, 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 in intact in my head. The best thing for me, I'm telling you, Fight Pass has been a godsend for yeah. me. Because I can go back and be like, oh, right, 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 right. Now I remember. Okay, fine, cool, I got it. And not just for the big ones, but like someone asked me the other day, like, what about Arnold Allen? You know? And so I went back and I watched some of his fights and I was like, okay, now I can sort of get it. <laughs> but it takes a second for me to do that. But for the record, the matchup roundup, the matchup roundup is a, just a list of announced fights that are like confirmed. Yeah, that's what I figured. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, just, not, I'm, I'm at a point now too where I'm just like, dude, who, I, I saw this guy. This guy has ten fights in the UFC. Where? When? How did I miss not, them all? <laughs> yeah, it does not mean you are casual. Yeah. it's not what that means. Go ahead, next. I got mail. Yay! Uh, this comes from a ten who has, uh, well, hopefully some good advice for you. Uh, he says, "Hey Luke, here are a few things that helped us out with our baby sleep." Okay. So he says, uh, by the way, since about 10 months old, her sleeping has been mostly perfect, so there's hope for you, too. Uh, he claims he put a smart plug in her room and connected a heater to it. I programmed it to work in spurts around her wake-up times. So if I know she wakes up at 1 a.m., I'd have it start around 12.45 and run till about 1.15 or so. So the noise has a calming effect, and when the room is nice and warm, it's easier for her to go back to sleep. Uh, also, he says, probably pretty obvious, but if your daughter takes the pacifier... Use a clip so she'd have it attached to her throughout the night. Yeah, no, that's not a concern anymore. Yeah. Uh, three, if you go with medications, infants Advil proved to be more effective than Tylenol. Ooh, I think it has a better okay. kick to it. Good luck to, to you. And he also says, uh, P.S., as it is the mailbag and a question in order, why is the mailbag email not the Luke Thomas show at Gmail? I don't get what he needs. Oh, the Luke Thomas show. He wants to know why it's not the Luke Thomas show at Gmail. Because I probably made it after my daughter slept for five minutes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's why. Which means I slept for four. But what do you think of those little tips? Uh, the one about the clip, I doesn't do me any good. But the one about the Advil is interesting, and then the heat. We installed. I bought on Amazon um, this uh, nightlight, and the nightlight is interesting because one, you can control it with your phone, and two, what you can do is um, it has sounds and all different kinds of sounds like rain, waves, the forest, like pure static. You can, on your phone and then on the device itself, you can raise the volume and lower the volume, change the noise, and you can change the color temperature. So you can change it from, like, red to blue, but then also, like, deep red, deep blue, light blue, whatever, and you can just uh, you can scroll with your hands um, on the phone to get it just right. And for the first couple of nights, it seemed to be, like, a real big difference maker, and now I'm not sure what the hell it's doing. So, I don't know. The good thing about baby stuff, dude, is, like, you know, uh, here's the thing, and... This is the saddest commentary on America and the world. And maybe this is the way it is in the rest of the world. I don't know. I didn't realize this until I had a kid. 
Cobb, if I asked you to go get baby formula, what would you do? Hey, Cobb, I need uh, this baby formula for my kid. Here's here's the money. What what would you go do? I mean, my, my first question would be, is there a particular brand? And I'd probably just go to like a ShopRite or an Amazon. Sure, like sure. I like the Gerber kind. Yeah. Now what? All right. Then I go to the ShopRite and try to figure it out. <laughs> right. And you would go to the shelves, right? Yeah, essentially. Okay. It's not in the shelves. Really? Baby formula is but expensive. A, a jar that lasts me a few days is about $33. So they put it behind the counter like they do for like cigarettes or something. The kind they leave out on the store racks are like the generic kind and then like Similac, you know, which is fairly standard stuff. My, my daughter got sick off Similac, so we had to go to it. Dude, it is so mind-numbingly expensive. But in general, that's the exception, not the rule. Like baby clothes are super cheap. Baby toys are cheap. You know, it's like seven bucks, ten bucks, fifteen bucks. It's not that big a deal. They, you know, they, 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 they do. They can't tell the difference between the box it came in and the toy itself sometimes. So that part doesn't kill me. But um, the formula, God, dude, it is a backbreaker every time that receipt comes through. So the the good news was the 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 nightlight we got her was like sixty bucks, and it maybe is going to work. I don't know. Does this guy have a link to the thing he's talking about? Uh, he did not include one. No. Ah, very helpful. Great email. Really <laughs> appreciate that. Uh, I think he just said he plugged just a general thing into into a smart plug. I guess you could just find any one general. Yeah, but he was setting it for certain times. Uh, I mean, it can't be too hard to figure out. Well, I'm too tired to even get the date right, Cobb. So <laughs> that I is think also you true. Over, I think you overestimate my mental faculties at this point. <laughs> That's also true. Next. Wait a minute, Mr. Postman. Uh, you touched on this a little bit earlier. This comes from Jordan, who says, uh, "Hey, Luke." Do you think Shevchenko versus Chokagian will be a, a repeat of Shevchen- the, the Shevchenko versus Karmush fight? Between Chokagian's style of staying on the outside, relatively low striking accuracy, and both ladies' strong defensive skills, I don't see much happening in this fight. Yeah, this one's not going to be great, I don't think. Um, Jessica I was like, you know, if you guys remember when she got flatlined, she was in pursuit. When she was pushing into Shevchenko. And Chokagian will do that too, but she's very cautious she manages distance well, which makes her not very effective. Like, she's not a heavy puncher. She doesn't land heavy shots. She's typically like a volume attacker, you know, and she's got good defense. So the one X-Factor Cobb, people always sleep on it, and I never know why. Dude, Shevchenko's got good takedowns and a good ground game. You know, it's real basic in its fundamentals, but those are very solid. Like, her fundamentals, like, in all of her stuff are very – her dancing fundamentals, her shooting fundamentals, her striking fundamentals, and her takedown and the top control, she's got excellent fundamentals. It's not a particularly sophisticated ground game, but it's very rock solid, very good. And uh, so that might change things up for me because I think she's going to have – here's the other part about Shevchenko, dude, that everyone talks about – or, excuse me, that people don't talk enough about, Cobb, for me – Oh, she's a great striker. Oh, she's dynamic. Dude, she's just a better athlete than these ladies, too. She's so much more physical than them, and you can see it when when she locks up with them and how much she kind of manhandles them. She was taking down one natural bantamweights when she was cutting like a pound to make weight. Um, she's super strong and physical. Uh, so that, to me, could make it interesting. But as long as it stays on the feet, it's going to be butt boring. That's my prediction. So there you go. Next. You've got mail. <laughs> I love the setup for this question. All right, so this comes from Keith, who uh, puts a little scenario out there for you. So in this scenario, you have been fired. for ax- After finally snapping on a useless intern, Luke has been fired. That's the situation. Okay. Uh, KOB, being loyal, tells Sirius if they fire Luke, 
he will also quit. Sadly, yeah, that, dude, let me tell you something. That ain't happening. Yeah, sadly, they had no idea who, KO, who KOB was and that he was also on the show. So needless to say, KOB is now unemployed as well. Fear not, you Chewbacca-loving beast. <laughs> the creators of Mortal Kombat are huge fans of Luke and his endless thinking of ways he may... <laughs> and his endless thinking of ways he may die. <laughs> And have hired Luke and KOB to come up with fatalities for four new characters that Luke is an expert on. So, Luke, what will the fatalities be for one, the Mandalorian, two, Darth Maul, three, Chewbacca, and four, Wait, Darth on. Vader? All right, so hold Fatality. On. So the first one is the Mandalorian. Yes. Second is? Darth Maul. Darth Maul. Okay, three. Chewbacca. Oh, that's a great one. And four uh, is Darth Vader. Darth Vader. Ooh. Uh, okay, help me with this. So you've seen The Mandalorian. Yes. It's got to be weapons related. I feel like it, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's part of his religion, for crying out loud. Um, the blaster, to me, is never interesting. It's always the other stuff he's got tucked into his forearm, you know? The fire one might be cool. How about this one? He sets you on fire with the fire thing, and then the other thing where all the missiles come out and heat seek on a particular target... Then just kind of blow you to bits afterwards. Would that be cool, or That'd is that a little too me. lame? That would work for me. No, right. there has to be a cremation part with the jetpack. The jetpack matters too, so he could just like take off with the pretty much the blaster off the jetpack straight into the guy's face. What if he just fried you, then put the jetpack on you, and then just sent you into outer space? I was gonna say, can he, can he just choke you out in outer space? Just fly you up and then drop you. <laughs> it's not a bad one either. Yeah. And then set you, and then put your ashes on fire. There you go. Not a bad one there. Darth Maul. Uh, well, it's got to be the two-sided. Yeah, it's got to be the double-sided light- lightsaber. Lightsaber. Ooh. And he's got a little bit of the force in him, too. I mean, he could just cut you into several pieces. Yeah. Um, would it, I feel like, I feel like could he pull you in, into two parts with the half, with the, with the force? You know what I'm saying? Ooh, also interesting. Instead of, the, instead of the lightsaber actually doing it, he just drops the lightsaber and then tears you into two parts. Well, they seem to, I was going to say, I'm like, I've never seen anyone do anything with the Force like that, but they seem to just keep making up rules for the Force anyway now at this point. So, yeah, why not? Yeah, exactly. Dude, dude, what can, what, here's my question, <laughs> Cobb. What can the Force not do? Yeah, that's where we're at at this point. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of like that one. Chewbacca, I was going to say rip your arms off and beat you to death with him. That's what but, I was thinking, but I think he's got to. Well, hold on. Here's the thing. Didn't Jax do that? Ooh, I don't remember. Yeah, Jax does that. I, I don't know if he beats you over the head with him, but I know he rips your arms off. I mean, you're explicitly told that Wookiees do that. Yeah, like that's, the, that's, that's the thing. How about this? He rips one of your arms off and then bludgeons you to death with it. <laughs> to the point where, like, your brains fall out of your skull and your innards are, like, leaking on the ground, that kind of a thing. That would be a hell of a fatality. That'd be a great one, a gruesome, you know? <laughs> oh, I forgot. Apparently, <laughs> someone put in a note for Darth Vader at the end here. Effing, effing moms is not a fatality, so we got to take that out right away. <laughs> okay. First, he bangs your mom in front of you. <laughs> First, Darth Vader bangs your mom in front of you and then chokes you while he's banging your mom, right, with his hands. You know that kind of bit he does? Yeah. No, Force chokes both you and the mom at the same time. No. He makes you choke your mom while he's banging. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not sure how that kills the person, but it gives mom a hard time. Um, Gosh, I don't know after that. I don't know. Well, it makes you feel so bad about it that you use your own fatality on yourself, maybe. And yeah. That goes. And then you're so distraught, you just off yourself. (laughs) With your own fatality. 
That's a great one. That's a great one. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at L Thomas News and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.